welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast Series. Thank you for joining me again. I will be looking at leadership from a land-based ag perspective, and I'm very glad to have my guest today joining me to share her leadership experiences. By way of introduction, my guest brings a lot of different experiences to her role as a leader. She is a self-employed beef producer and has been for the last two decades, is a livestock leader with the Livestock Collective and is a drought resilience mentoring program participant with the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. Can I welcome to this podcast, Deb Gray. Deb, how are you? Hi, Eric. Really good. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for being here. So let's talk about your leadership and its beginnings. Oh, that wasn't very long ago. It was 18 months ago, the the leadership journey chapter sort of kicked off. I always thought there was only just beef producers in the world, but uh, there's a whole other umbrella under the agricultural sector and it's there's a lot of us in there. It sort of kicked off with the worst drought, you know, that we've ever had. Well, one of the worst in my lifetime. Then the 2019-2020 bushfires come through and I copped quite a lot of damage from that and it got to the point where I thought it's all getting a bit hard, this farming thing. Do I either put a for sale sign out the front and quit or do I pull up my pants like a big girl and continue? And I took the continue path because I like a challenge. And from there, I I actually started to realize just how many people in ag had been affected and how many sectors and how it impacted our whole industry and our whole supply chain. And that was where I was lucky enough to come across Livestock Collective and be invited along to a couple of their courses. And from there, the journey of livestock leader in agriculture has just grown. It's been a really, really good adventure. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, the interest to me in your response is I picked up some something slightly different, and this could be my bad on this, so please call me out if I've got this wrong. But you having been in the game as a self-employed person for 20 years suggests to me yep. you've been in that game of leadership for a hell of a long time, but you may not have identified as such. Is there any truth to, to that from your perspective, that once you got into what leadership was very recently and doing the the study and the courses you're doing now that you're seeing yourself in that space a little different or did I have I got that wrong I I think it was more the way I approached it previous to livestock leadering I was more you know this is how I do it and this is the right way to do it and that's how I've always done it and that's why it's right and don't argue and you know let's just do it the way I want it done but the experiences that we've been through with, you know, droughts, fires, floods, everything that we've had the last, you know, three, four years, it's really taken on a different, a different turn. And it's not now about this is how you do it. And this is why I do it like this. It's, it's adapting, it's changing the way and it's listening to others. The biggest part that I've now got right is I actually listen to others I never did before. And I think that's the difference now, the leadership path's taken. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I guess um, when that light bulb moment goes off, it really lets you know where you're at. The additional context that you bring, and I haven't had anyone bring this up in the podcast, so I'm sure we would uh, skew your view on certain things is how you've dealt with drought and that at the other end of a cat- that as a catastrophic process that you've decided you want to help industry do the things that you're doing rather than run away and, and not deal 
with the issue for yourself, which is which is good to hear. Um, I know that program's been rolled out in a few places. I, I didn't realise again because I'm not on the land, just the extent of how bad the drought was in New South Wales. Was that a Western New South Wales, Western Queensland thing in particular, or was it just New South Wales with the biggest hit when it came to the drought? Oh, I think everyone felt it in some way, shape or form somewhere, you know, across the states, all over the country. It was, you know, different parts of the year in different different states all seemed to have their own battles. It's, um, I think from memory in that time, Western Australia got out of it a lot sooner than the rest of us because I remember, you know, once the fire had gone through, we had not a blade of grass, you know, not from the drought. And then what we did have was burnt out and all of the feed we were getting was getting shipped from Western Australia. So they'd obviously had a good season, you know, to be able to have all that supply, which was a great help for our supply chain over on the, the East Coast. So I think, you know, Victoria felt that, New South Wales felt it, and Southern Queensland felt it. It was it was just, I, I can't even explain it, what it was like to sort of go through now just feels like such a long time ago. You've done a good thing by wanting to help your community, your industry. I mean, you can't, you should be applauded for that. So let me ask you, you you're now um, moving in circles with other leaders. You're seeing that in the kind of organizations that you're connected to and you're studying yourself now, which is great to do professional development at any stage in your career, let alone your life. I think it's a good thing to be to have at least that kernel of wanting to do lifelong learning. I think there's massive benefits for that. Give me a sense of how you define leadership. There is, on on this one, there's no right and wrong because I can tell you after a couple of hundred discussions on this, I'm not finding consistency in the definition. So everyone has a slightly different view of it. So what's yours, mate? Leadership for me is not, not knowing everything. You may be an expert in your area. I'm by far no means an expert. I don't claim to be. I have a lot to learn and I'm willing to learn it. And I find that by being a leader, it, it's collaborating with others in the sectors, others in your industry. You know, it's it's pulling together and finding the missing links that do connect us all. I find that it's um it's a team effort. It's not about taking charge and pulling your industry forward. It's about moving together as one big industry and, you know, bridging the gaps between rural and city folk and helping them understand just how hard it is, you know, with what we do and the procedures that we have to follow and the policies that we have to abide by and the legislations that we have to follow. And leadership, it's taking everyone through. It's everyone coming together. You might need one person that's a bit stronger than the rest or one person that's a bit noisier than the rest. And, you know, there's a few of us out there that are a bit noisy. But, you know, ultimately we don't want to leave people behind. We want to we want to encourage everyone to, you know, have their voice heard, have their story heard, be a part of it all together. Sounds reasonable to me. Let me ask you something. How do you identify when you see bad leadership? So how do you identify what bad leadership is? So we all can talk about what makes effective leadership, what we believe leadership is, obviously in optimal conditions. When you see bad leadership, what comes to you that might call it out? Is it something that you've experienced before? Or do you need to see different types of behavior where you go, yeah, that's not that's not good leadership? I'm interested, given that you're telling me that you're <laughs> new to the space, be interesting to see how do you call out bad when it comes to leadership? I try to not call it out anymore. I think previously, you know, you, you've got your groups out there that make a lot of noise and they cause a lot of fuss and they any publicity 
is good publicity, whether it's good, bad, ugly, indifferent, no matter what it is. I, I sort of figure that our views are never going to change their thoughts, no matter what, you know, truth we have or whatever we are doing in our industry to improve it or make it better. There are some out there that just will not ever see reason, hear reason or want to understand reason. So instead of becoming that noisy barrage of person, I think I would rather focus my energy on the people that are interested and do want to hear how the industry is changing and moving forward and turn a blind eye, so to speak, or just sort of, you know, push them to the side a bit or, yep, move on. My energy's not going to go in that direction. It's going to be wasted and it will probably only frustrate me. I can relate to what you're saying and I, and I won't go to who those groups might be, but mm-hmm. but working in the commercial seafood space, I, I think I know the groups that you might be talking about. To be honest, point of it maybe is everyone's entitled to a view as long as you don't let someone else's view dominate you and you can forge ahead and do something productive. I think that's half the battle. Is that in some ways a driver for you, you to be in a leadership position is to be able to educate others about what you do or what food producers do? Is that is that something that is a driver for you? It's the biggest driver for me. It, it's, it's what I've learned being out there on the ground, talking to people. And this is what I meant by actually listening to people, you know, when I started going through leadership courses and things. And it's about listening to what their concerns are and what they think the industry is doing and what they think the industry impacts are having. And it's actually about bridging the gap and helping them understand that, you know, we're changing, you know, our, our land production in Australia is just on or just about carbon neutral, you know, for what we're producing in lamb. Beef by 2030 will be there. It's not as impact on the environment that people think it does. You know, we need animals in our cycle. We need it for carbon storage. And we, you know, the way we, the way we manage our cattle and our sheep and all our livestock, the husbandry now is second to none. My kids reckon I care for my cows better than I care for them you know, which probably could be a possibility at times, granted. But, you know, it's not it's not the horrible, torturous industry that people think it is. And it's about the education. People don't know what they don't know. And, and what we, I think, critically need is people to step up and do that stuff. And those that are doing that are leading the way and, and hence the connection to them working in a leadership space. That can happen in lots of different contexts. You don't have to be the leader of a big business or a small business. It, it can happen in various uh, guises. And I think you've outlined that quite nicely. So to get a bit more specific with you, if I can, Deb, and this is around those things that you see in leaders that are positive, that that are important to you. If I asked you what what is the the set of leader capabilities that would say to you, yes, that person is an effective leader, what might that list look like? And again, it's different for all of us. And by way of example, for me, after many, many hundreds of conversations, I'm starting to refine my list a little bit. And I've, I've chucked a few out and added a few in that I think are important. Like, for example, I, I think any leader needs to be self-reflective and seek feedback. From your perspective, Deb, what are those capabilities for you? Well, a good leader is someone that, that again, it, it's listening, it's finding a shared value with the person you're communicating with and it's finding out what their concerns are. Um, you know, I have i don't claim to know everything about anything. I'm jack of all trades, master at none. It's something that you sort of pick up as you go along. 
you know, there's, if I do get asked questions now about, you know, certain sectors that I'm not sure of, I've got a great big book, you know, that I, I go to and I find the experts in that, in that area. And I will try and find the answer and I will try and get it back to the person that's asked. It's, it's not about knowing it all. Like I said, it's about being able to use your network and your other leaders and your other connections to get to the bottom of what their concerns are and what they're looking for. It's about being available. It's about wanting to help people. For me, that's what I, I sort of gauge from it. You know, sometimes the feedback can be a bit hard that we do get thrown back at us, as I'm sure you've copped many times, but you know, you, you learn from it. Again, it's all learning experience. And unless we're learning and growing and moving along with it, we're not leading. You've caught me out a little bit. I guess I wouldn't have asked that question if I hadn't copped a few um, bits of feedback that I didn't like on the come up. I guess I, I'm still and forever will be a, a student of what leadership is, whether or not I could rate myself as a, as a great leader, probably not. As a practical, pragmatic leader, yeah, I think I've had to be given the nature of my industry. I, like many of us, I guess, I, I, I try to separate for me the emotional from the process part of leadership and sometimes I don't do that very well. As I've gotten older... There is, there is some wisdom that does come with, with aging. And that is you realize that you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So I've found that actually by listening to people and, you know, mulling it over in your head and processing it for a whole 20 seconds before you speak has made me a lot calmer as I've gotten older, which is not a bad thing. It's also been really good for, you know, where it's got me. It's, it's got me where I am now, which is, you know, I never thought that I would be working with the MLA at the Easter show every year, helping the public understand about red meat and where their favorite cuts from their, you know, favorite cut of steak comes from on the cow. That's, that's always a really cool thing to be able to show people and explain to people. And that's the really cool part. And that's the part that I love about what I do. And, and, you know, go back two years ago, I never thought that I would be doing that. And it, and it's a lot of fun. You know, and it's, you know, I get to zoom into classrooms with kids and, you know, yeah. tell them all about Farmer Deb's day. And, and if I can convince one kid to think about becoming a farmer or get a job in a, you know, agricultural sector, hey, that's just awesome. That's great. You know, the kids don't realize how much fun technology is actually out there in the world of ag. And when you start telling them about all the apps and the toys and the, the cool stuff that we get to play with, you know, their brains start to think and they go, ooh, didn't know it was so tech savvy. This could be fun. But let me let me ask uh, slightly an aside, but I think part of that that leadership game that um, leaders in ag need to be engaged in is communicating to the public about just how much variety there is in food production in the ag sector. Do you think that's done enough? I'm not I'm not going to ask well enough because that that's oh, that that's a loaded it's, it's a yeah, subjective no, a question because yeah it's. It's getting there. We're getting there. It's it's slowly moving in the direction it needs to, you know, and to be a part of that, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. even, even, you know, I'm, I'm studying online at university at the moment and I'm doing, I've done a d diploma in ag and I'm now doing my bachelor of science, majoring in regenerative ag. And it's interesting when I go up to my residentials at Lismore and there's a heap of young kids and, you know, they've all got these great big ambitions for the world, but they don't realize just how much goes into producing food to feed the world they've got no idea and you know sometimes I do get a bit blunt with them and sorry guys sometimes I do but <laughs> it's you know it's 
because sometimes being in a leadership role, like you said, it can be frustrating when you've got to, you can't change someone's view or someone's opinion, but you can help them understand the other side. And that's, that's the bit that I do also enjoy putting across and making their brains tick a bit. Well, it's good. It's good to hear that your view is that ag is getting better at, at selling the the nuances and uh, the elements of ag that can can be attractive to uh, young people. I think that's a good thing to hear. Something I think we've lost in the curriculum at schools, and you know, I'm I preface everything I'm saying now that teachers are overloaded. The school system is at its max. I'm not looking to make any teacher's life harder. This is just talking hypothetically. There is no, I think, way easy way in the curriculum to educate our kids around where their food comes from and why it's important to understand that. I think it's I think we lose nothing by adding that in social studies or get getting that understanding of where does your food come from because food security is important and making informed choices is important and understanding that if you decide to, for example, not eat red meat or become a vegan or a vegetarian or whichever whatever lifestyle you go down to under to understand that just just because you've chosen a pathway doesn't mean the other pathways are no good when you're making those choices and that the point that you've made before that I think is a great one is great and unfortunate, but that now farmers themselves have got to go in and engage with school students to let them know what they're doing. Because if no one else is going to do it, then we have to do it for ourselves. And that that takes time. It costs money. And I'm sure the time that you're spending doing that, you could be working in your business or spending time with your family. And so it, it can get hard. I mean, you know, at some point, all of us should be doing it, but we're not all geared to do it. And and look, for you know, for a good eighteen years I wasn't bothered by any of it either. You know, I just you know, I'd see something going on on the TV or in the news and, you know, have my opinion, say it at the kitchen table and move on. Whereas now, you know, I've got the opportunity to actually sit back, think about it. How has it impacted the industry? All right. Well, you know, if it's something to do with, you know, live export or if it's something to do with cropping or anything like that, I've now got my team around me that I can go to and all right, let's talk about it. What's your opinion? Let's get it out there. Let's share it. Let's spread the word on, you know, put, you know, put the actual truth out there on what we are going through and how we are dealing with it as farmers on the land. So that's one thing now that that I do have the opportunity to do. And I'm, I'm actually quite happy that I can get to do that. What do you do to impact and, and make change? And that I think each of us plays a role, far bit from me to judge oh, what, what you should do next. It's, it's you what know, you do, we, you know? We do. And we, we have our, we have our big industry leaders out there that are, that are, you know, paving the way and are bringing stories ahead and, and things like that. And it's really good that then, you know, us little guys can back it up and, you know, we can have our, our say and our opinion. And and I'm lucky that I do only have a small family operated farm because it does give me the time to then go and work on these these avenues. You know, I, I can go and spend two weeks at the Easter show and it not impact the income of my farm for the year. And, you know, I can go and, you know, go to kids' classrooms and talk about things. And, and I can do those community engagements because, you know, I do have I do have the availability and the time in there. So we need to put, you know, the right people in the right spots. So, you know, we've got our big industry leaders out there. They're they're paving the way. That's their tool time job. You know, I'm I can go and do these smaller little nichey things along the way and it doesn't impact my my enterprise either, which is, you know, it's it's good for me. It's a win win for everyone. 
and all of that work you're describing with the Easter show and, and doing community engagement is part of that leadership process. You might not call it that or you might not see it that way, but that's exactly what you're doing. And, and, it, um, and it is. And yeah. it's the way I look at that is I get to spend two weeks every year as as a representative for our industry, for our red meat industry with the MLA. And that that's a really cool thing that I get to do every year. You know, I get to go and see it from a different point of view and um, and help bridge that gap with the community. And that's that's a really cool gig. Not many people get to say that they do that. All right, Deb, final question. And this one is, I ask this in every podcast and I won't stop asking this. So <laughs> the nature versus nurture question, are leaders born or are they made? Are they made or are they born? Oh, look, I think everyone has the potential to be a leader. It just depends on, you know, how you want to go about it. You know, I mean, you can, I don't know. I, I don't know if there there is a bad thing out there as a bad leader. There probably is. I mean, Hitler wasn't a very good leader. But, but um, you know, I think everyone's got the potential to be a good leader. What you need to, what the biggest thing that I've understood about being a leader is you don't do it on your own, is that you can't do it on your own. You need a team. And I've, I've said that I've got a network, I've got a team. It's not just me that's doing it. You know, if I don't have the answer, someone else does. And it's about leading together. You, you can't lead on your own. You need a team. You need to, you need to have that camaraderie together. Well, look, but before we go, I'd like to ask you this because it's come up a few times in the discussion. You talked about, you can't do this leadership thing on your own. So do you see it like, I guess I might go catch this this way. If leadership is a critical thing and it is important and I get the sense from you that it is for you it's about people and you don't apply your leadership process without people around you is that is that fair comment yeah I I would never do this if it was just me on my own I'd, I'd feel like a complete fraud trying to do what I do on my own you know I I don't have all the answers that's not something I can do there is so much knowledge out there to be learned and to be shared and being a part of a good leader and being part of an industry leader is is taking all that with you and having that there with you. So for yeah. me, that's that's what makes a good leader. Thank you, Deb. So look, before we go, did you want to plug something that you're doing for the listeners to get involved with, what, what you do with your business or as a livestock leader? Well, you and I have got something coming up in the pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> we've, got, we've, got a, we've got a little bit of, of leadership ship work coming up together that's that's a bit exciting that one's coming out soon. yeah looking forward to that that one um no look I, over over summer i do try and take a bit of a break off uni and you know spend some time with the kids and you know that that sort of thing so things are starting to quieten down a bit got a lot to catch up on in the next few weeks bit busy but after that no i'm, I'm just gonna have have a, a month or two off i think over over um christmas new year yeah, good on you. So, yeah, but then next year, I'm hoping there's a couple of things that come up next year. Something we can talk about maybe in, in further discussion. So Maybe. Yes, very much looking forward to this other bit of work that we're going to be doing together in, in a very short space of time and to get that out for people to have a listen to. I, I think one thing that I'm, I'm getting a lot of good feedback on and I want to do more of in 2023, uh, the God's Willing 
is having panel sessions around this discussion to to get some um, creativity from a group of people that bring lots of different expertise to the table. And yes, I thank you for helping me do that. And for those listening, we'll give you more information about that as it comes to, um, as this process comes to fruition. So for those listening, I've been speaking to Deb Gray. Deb, thank you. Thanks, Eric. Always nice to chat. Yeah, you too, mate. So for those listening, this has been a Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for following and supporting what I'm trying to do here with these discussions. And of course, to my guests for giving up their time to have a chat with me. Stay safe and we'll catch everybody on the next podcast.